It was now three o'clock in the afternoon and raining. For fifteen hours we had been wet to the skin, chilled, sleepy, hungry and disappointed, profoundly disgusted with the inglorious part to which they had been condemned. The men of my regiment did everything doggedly. The spirit had gone quite out of them. Blue sheets of powder smoke, drifting amongst the trees, settling against the hillsides, and beaten into nothingness by the falling rain, filled the air with a particular pungent odor. But it no longer stimulated. For miles on either hand could be heard the hoarse murmur of the battle, breaking out nearby with frightful distinctness, or sinking to a murmur in the distance, and the one sound aroused no more attention than the other. We had been placed again in rear of those guns, but even they and their iron antagonists seemed to have tired of their feud, pounding away at one another with amiable infrequency. The right of the regiment extended a little beyond the field. On the prolongation of the line in that direction were some regiments of another division, with one in reserve. A third of a mile back lay the remnant of somebody's brigade, looking to its wounds. The line of forest bounding this end of the field stretched as straight as a wall from the right of my regiment to heaven knows what regiment of the enemy. There suddenly appeared, marching down along this wall, not more than two hundred yards in our front, a dozen files of gray-clad men with rifles on their right shoulder. At an interval of fifty yards, they were followed by perhaps half as many more, and in fair supporting distance of these stalked with confident mane, a single man. There seemed to me something indescribably ludicrous in the advance of this handful of men upon an army, albeit with their left flank protected by a forest. It does not so impress me now. They were the exposed flanks of three lines of infantry, each half a mile in length. In a moment our gunners had grappled with the nearest pieces, swung them half around, and were pouring streams of canister into the invaded wood. The infantry rose in masses, springing into line. Our threatened regiments stood like a wall, their loaded rifles at ready, their bayonets hanging quietly in the scabbards. The right wing of my own regiment was thrown slightly backward to threaten the flank of the assault. The battered brigade away to the rear pulled itself together. Then the storm burst. A gray cloud seemed to spring out of the forest into the faces of the waiting battalions. It was received with a crash that made the very trees turn up their leaves. For one instant the assailants paused above their dead, then struggled forward, their bayonets glittering in the eyes that shone behind the smoke. One moment and those unmoved men in blue would be impaled. What were they about? Why did they not fix bayonets? Were they stunned by their own folly? Their inaction was maddening. Another tremendous crash. The rear rank had fired. Humanity, thank heaven, is not made for this, and the shattered gray mass drew back a score of faces, opening a feeble fire. Lead had scored its old-time victory over steel. The heroic had broken its great heart against the commonplace. There are those who say that it is sometimes otherwise, 
as this had taken but a minute of time. And now the second Confederate line swept down and poured in its fire. The line of blue staggered and gave way. In those two terrific volleys, it seemed to have quite poured out its spirit. To this deadly work our reserve regiment now came up with a run. It was surprising to see it, spitting fire with never a sound, for such was the infernal din that the ear could take in no more. This fearful scene was enacted within fifty paces of our toes. But we were rooted to the ground as if we had grown there. But now our commanding officer rode from behind us to the front, waved his hand with the courteous gesture that says, and with a barely audible cheer we sprang into the fight. Again the smoking front of gray receded, and again, as the enemy's third line emerged from its leafy covert, it pushed forward across the piles of dead and wounded to threaten with protruded steel. Never was seen so striking a proof of the paramount importance of numbers. Within an area of three hundred yards by fifty, there struggled for front places no fewer than six regiments, and the accession of each after the first collision, had it not been immediately counterpoised, would have turned the scale. As matters stood, we were now very evenly matched, and how long we might have held out God only knows. But all at once something appeared to have gone wrong with the enemy's left. Our men had somewhere pierced his line. A moment later his whole front gave way, and springing forward with fixed bayonets we pushed him in utter confusion back to his original line. Here among the tents, from which Grant's people had been expelled the day before, our broken and disordered regiments inextricably intermingled, and drunken with the wine of triumph, dashed confidently against a pair of trim battalions, provoking a tempest of hissing lead that made a stagger under its very weight. The sharp onset of another against our flanks sent us whirling back with fire at our heels, and fresh foes in merciless pursuit. But when their turn were broken upon, the front of the invalidated brigade previously mentioned, which had moved up from the rear to assist in this lively work. As we rallied to reform behind our beloved guns, and noted the ridiculous brevity of our line, as we sank from sheer fatigue and tried to moderate the terrific thumping of our hearts, as we caught our breath to ask who had seen such and such a comrade, and laughed hysterically at the reply. There swept past us and over us into the open field a long regiment with fixed bayonets and rifles on the right shoulder. Another followed, and another. Two, three, four. Heavens, where do all these men come from? And why did they not come before? How grandly and confidently they go sweeping on like long blue waves of ocean, chasing one another to the cruel rocks. Involuntarily we draw in our weary feet beneath us as we sit ready to spring up and interpose our breasts when these gallant lines shall come back to us across the terrible field and sift brokenly through among the trees with sprouting fires at their backs. We still are breathing to catch the full grandeur of the volleys that are to tear them to shreds. Minute after minute passes 
and the sound does not come. Then for the first time we note that the silence of the whole region is not comparative, but absolute. Have we become stone deaf? See, here comes a stretcher-bearer, and there a surgeon. Good heavens, a chaplain! The battle was indeed at an end.